Well, welcome everybody. It's good to see you guys this weekend at Grace, and welcome everybody watching online and at live sites and at the Montrose Building. Uh, thanks for joining us as well. Uh, my name's Jeff. If I haven't met you before and you're here at Gent Road, I'd love to connect with you and say hi to you after service. Um, before I, I jump into our teaching for this weekend, I just want to lean into uh, one of the announcements, and that's for Discovery Group. Uh, so if you haven't gone through Discovery Group, if you're newer to Grace, or even if you've been coming for a while but you feel disconnected, uh, that's what Discovery Group is for, and it will help you make all those connections. And so really encourage you to try to prioritize that. I know it's hard to, like, be the new kid at something, but if you can take kind of that one step and jump into Discovery Group, you, you won't feel that way at the end of it, so take advantage of it. If you normally watch online or at one of the, the live sites locally, uh, I encourage you to come in and be a part of Discovery Group too, even though maybe you normally connect at a live site, take advantage of it. If you're at a live site in California or South Carolina, we'll let you off the hook this time. If you're watching in Michigan, you should drop what you're doing immediately and get down here. It's an emergency. God loves you and will protect you. But uh, everybody else, uh, come on in and, and be a part of that and make those connections, and you'll find that helpful and available. So next weekend, that will be uh, right after the Sunday services here at Gent Road. I'll teach it uh, and would love to meet you and connect with you and encourage you to take advantage of that. Uh, so we're in a series right now that we started last weekend called Made for This, and what we're doing in the series is, is we're talking about what God does in us spiritually when we accept Christ as our Savior or accept the forgiveness of our sins. So uh, this series is going to land a couple of places depending on where you're at in your spiritual journey, okay? So if you are investigating Christ, checking church out, uh, here because somebody asked you to be here, and you're just kind of thinking, kind of maybe open to spiritual things, but you're not really there or convinced yet. Uh, what this, what I'm going to talk about today is, is going to be a description for you. It's going to be a description of what God can do and wants to do for you. So maybe as we talk about it, it'll, it'll draw you a little bit, or maybe you'll hear something and think, I, maybe I've been looking for that or kind of missing that. And I'm talking about kind of the possibilities that are out there uh, for you and what God wants to do and is able to do for you. If you are a Christ follower, if there's already been a time in your life where you've said, I believe that Jesus is God, I've asked him for the forgiveness of my sin, uh, I want him to define and direct my life, and you've kind of made that transition, then what we're going to be talking about this weekend is what Christ is currently doing in your life, okay? So all this kind of kicks in when we accept Jesus' forgiveness and commit our lives to him. So if you're not there yet, that's great, it's fine, but this is a description of what can happen. But if you are there, it's a description of what is happening. And this, this becomes a really important delineation because when we're, when we're talking about this stuff, you have to lean into kind of the Scripture and lean into what Christ said because when He talks about following Him or being a Christian or getting saved or having your sins forgiven, however you want to term that, when, when God talks about that, he talks about that in very strong terms, kind of these unusual terms throughout the Bible. So God would never talk about following him in terms of like an addition into our life. 
Like, this is what I do, and this is how I do it, and, and I go to church. He, he would never talk about it like that. Uh, he would never talk about it in terms like of a set of activities. Like, I used to be kind of young, and I sowed my wild oats, but now I'm like, I'm like old and tired. I need to go to bed by nine kind of a thing. And, and so I settled down. And so I, I quit drinking as much, quit smoking, chewing, dating girls to do kind of thing. I started going to church. Jesus would never talk about following him in like a, a set of activities, nor would he talk about it in terms of like a life balance, Right. So I'm just trying to get healthy, and so I started working out, and I started enlightening myself, and I want to increase my spirituality, and so I brought some Jesus into that as well. Now, not everything about all those things is all negative. I'm not trying to uh, be negative on all that, but it's not like the level that Jesus would talk about it. He, he would look at us and say, if you kind of define following me in those terms, you probably pulled it up short a, a, a little bit. When Jesus and the scriptures talk about being a follower of Jesus Christ, it, 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 they talk about this in this kind of really radical, life-changing deep way. So the Bible will use metaphors like this. The Bible will say, I was spiritually dead, and then I accepted Christ as my Savior, and I, I was resurrected from death to life spiritually. Uh, I was in darkness. I am darkness, the Bible would say. And then I accepted Christ, and I moved from darkness into the light. Uh, I was reborn, re created. It would use these really strong metaphors to talk about what was happening in us and what happens to us when we accept Christ. So here's some passages just to kind of illustrate this thread of thinking. John 3, 3, Jesus is talking to this guy named Nicodemus, and Nicodemus says, what, what exactly do I have to do to go to heaven? I have to go to church. I have to keep these rules. What do I have to do? And Jesus says it this way. He says, Nicodemus, uh, very truly I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. And that's one of those really strong terms. So Jesus is like, no, it's not like get to the temple more or, or knock it off, keep your, get your act together. You have to be reborn. Something brand new has to occur within you spiritually. Uh, Paul uses this description in 2 Corinthians 5.17. He says, therefore, if anyone's in Christ, the new creation has come, the old has gone, and the new is here. Paul uses this, this idea that like my, the old me is taken out. The Bible even uses the term put to death. And the new me, that the Jesus created part of me, comes to bear. There, there's this old part of me, the old creation, then this new creation. I'm not added on to or improved. I'm something completely different than I used to be. We talked about this passage last week in a little bit, Ephesians 2.10. For we're God's handy, we're created in Jesus Christ to do good works which God prepared in advance for us to do. And we leaned into this idea that we're created in Christ Jesus, that I'm created, I'm recreated, I'm formed together, I'm made something new. I'm, I, I used to be this, and now I am the handiwork of God, and I am this new thing, this new creation, this new person spiritually. The things that used to define me don't define me anymore and these new things define me, and that's what it means to, to follow Jesus. So th this is a big distinction, and it's a big deal, and it really affects the way that we interact with God and even interact with each other. Uh, last weekend, 
I talked about this. It was Father's Day last weekend. If that's news to you, you're in deep trouble right now. But it was Father's Day last weekend. So kind of in light of that, uh, we talked about this. And, and I actually just talked about my dad. My dad was a completely transformed person. You can kind of see uh, this truth playing out in his life over the course of his life. And so I kind of wanted to give you a, like a biography of that, put some skin on it. So if you want to get the podcast or off the app or the website and listen to that, it might help a little bit because it's kind of this big concept that you kind of have to see. It's hard to make it tangible. And so that might help as we're kind of laying this down a little bit. So this weekend, we, we kind of want to work off of that foundation that that's what's happened, that that's kind of the depth that God talks about it a little bit. And then what we want to do is start to figure out how do we live that out, okay? So in the Bible, there's a guy named the Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul was used by God, and a lot of what the Apostle Paul did is he spoke on God's behalf, and he spoke to the churches that were kind of newly created. Jesus created the church, and so in the Bible, all this stuff is brand new, and what the Apostle Paul is doing is he's helping the churches understand how to live out what Jesus taught and what Jesus does, okay? So we're going to go to the book of Ephesians. This is a letter written to a bunch of brand new Christians in a brand new church doing that. So if you got your Bibles, grab them and go to Ephesians chapter 2. If you don't have a Bible and you want a physical copy of one, there, there's some there in the chairs. It's page uh, 947 in those Bibles. And if you don't have a newer translation of the Bible or one at all and you want to keep that, just write your name in that and keep it. Let it be our gift to you. And this is all on the app, too, if you want to use that. But in Ephesians chapter 2, Paul is writing to this new church, and he's explaining kind of the ramifications of what is happening within people spiritually. And he's kind of helping them get their, their head around it. Now, for this all to make sense, I got to do a quick... Bible history lesson. So I'm going to I'm going to Bible geek on you for a minute. Some of you are going to love this because you're geeks, and some of you uh, keep it to 3 minutes so you'll be okay. Don't worry. It's fine. History's good. All right? So let, let me just walk you through this a little bit. Just a quick quick how to understand the Bible lesson, okay? So the Bible is basically broken into two parts. We call it the New Testament and the Old Testament. The New Testament is everything that happens kind of after Jesus arrives. And the Old Testament is a big record of how God works with people before Jesus arrives, right? If you go to the New Testament on a super-duper high, hyper-generalistic level, if you look to the New Testament, there's two categories of people in the New Testament. There's people who follow Jesus and people who don't. And so the New Testament would often refer to that as the church, Christians, the church, and then people who aren't a part of the church, or non-Christians, or people who aren't followers of Jesus. So that's the New Testament, okay? People who follow Jesus, people who don't. In the Old Testament, in a very broad sense, there's two other groups of people, and the two groups of people in the Old Testament are Jews and Gentiles, Jews and Gentiles. And Jews, or the nation of Israel, in the Old Testament, God has special relationship with them interacted with them personally and then corporately as a nation or a group of people. And so most of the Old Testament is about the Jewish people and the Jewish nation. And in the Old Testament, you were either Jewish or you weren't. And if you weren't, you were a Gentile, a, a non-Jew, right? So when you look at the Old Testament, uh, 
all of those Bible heroes that maybe you are a little bit familiar with were all Jewish. So David and Joseph and Daniel and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and, and all those guys, that's all Jewish people interacting with God personally or corporately, and that's most of the Old Testament and what it's about. In there, then, Jesus shows up, right? And the New Testament starts. And when Jesus shows up, you have these Jews and these Gentiles who are now looking at Jesus. And ancient Jewish people would look and say, who, be, who believed in Jesus, would look and say, Jesus is our promised Messiah. Jesus is talked about all through the Old Testament. He's the Son of God, the Son of Man, Yahweh. All, all this stuff is all through the Old Testament. And they would look and say, he is the fulfillment of all these prophecies we believe, some of these Jewish folks believe that Jesus is God and we accept him as God, right? So Jesus was an ancient Jewish person. All the disciples were ancient Jewish people. The apostle Paul was an ancient Jewish person. Most of the early church were ancient Jewish people. They were people who converted from Judaism to what we would call Christianity because they would believe that Jesus was God. Now, in that same scenario, there's your Gentiles. And the Gentiles were a, a mix of whoever, right? So most of us, unless you have a, a Jewish heritage, most of us are Gentiles here. And we would have a kind of whatever background. You might have been Sumerian. You might have been Roman. You might have been a bunch of different things. But the, the gospel, the, the truth of Jesus, was not just for the Jew, but also for the Gentile. And so all these Jewish people did the math that Jesus was the Messiah and he was the King of kings and Lord of lords their Savior. All these Gentile people did the math that Jesus was the King of kings, Lord of lords and their Savior. They just didn't have the Jewish background to go with it. But both these groups of people wind up believing that Jesus is God and that Jesus is the only path to salvation. So they grow up in these completely different cultures with these completely different backgrounds, with a completely different foundation, and they wind up meeting at Jesus and both believing that Jesus is who he says he is, and they wind up forming what we would call the church, right? The group of people who believe that Jesus is God and follow him and love him and serve him. Now, all these people with all these different backgrounds get smashed together and they come together with all of their backgrounds, but they believe who Jesus is, and Christ has transformed their lives. And now comes the Apostle Paul explaining to them what that means. How do you live together as the church? How do you find this new identity in Christ, this identity that neither one of you have ever had before? And how does that all mix together? And so he writes this letter to work to explain that, and we're going to pick that letter up in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 12. And he's writing here specifically, he starts off writing to the Gentiles, and he says this, remember, Gentiles, remember that at that time you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel, and foreigners to the covenant of the promises, without hope and without God in the world. But now, now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ, for he himself is our peace. 
He has made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility. He, he's looking, he's saying, listen, all you Jewish people who, ancient Jewish people, you kind of had like this self-righteousness thing going on. You, you knew that God was interacting with you. You thought of yourself as holier than now. You thought of yourself as the exclusive keepers of all truth. You didn't even want the Gentiles around you. In fact, you believe they corrupted you and polluted you, right? And then all you Gentiles over here who had an attitude about that, you looked and said that the Jewish people are self-righteous, that, that you can't trust them, they're a bunch of hypocrites, we don't want anything to do with them. These cultural divides, now we all go to church with each other. And Paul is looking and saying something has happened. A new identity has occurred, and it's from Christ. You guys used to be excluded, but now you're not excluded because you're welcomed into Christ. There used to be tensions between these two groups of people, but this tension is to be brought to peace through Christ. In fact, he says that you, these two groups become one and have destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility. To an ancient Jewish person or an ancient Gentile person, when they read the phrase, the dividing wall of hostility, they did not think of that metaphorically. What they thought of was the temple. And in the temple, the, the, the Jewish temple, there was the temple mound. You may be familiar with that. You see it on the news today, the wailing wall, all those kind of things. That's the foundation of the temple. And back in this time, the temple itself was on top of that. And on that foundation, there was literally a sign that said, in essence, if you're not Jewish, you're not welcome. It was the dividing wall of hostility. You can come close, but don't you come closer than this. You are not welcomed here. Gentiles, you're going to corrupt us. And us Jewish people, we have it all together, and we're the people of God, and we don't want to be corrupted. And the thousands of years of tension between those two mindsets, now the Apostle Paul comes in and says, that's destroyed. That's torn down because you come together now in Christ. He brings you to peace. Your past identities are not to be what defines you or directs you. This new identity in Christ is to define you and direct you. And Paul is dealing now in the church with something that is true of all humanity over all time in every place on planet Earth, and it's this tendency, that as a human being, what I do is this. I will look for people who look like me, sound like me, act like me, and think like me, and I will gravitate toward those people. I do it, you do it, we all do it. It's not an American problem, it's not a 2019 problem, it's a human being problem. And every culture, at every phase of history, at every spot in the planet has been like this, that if you look like me and act like me and think like me, I gravitate towards you I, I clump up together with you, and then I exclude other people because they're not like us. And this happens all over the place. So, for instance, if you were raised in the country as opposed to the city, if you were raised in the country as opposed to the city, 
You're going to look for people who look like you, act like you, and think like you. And you're going to feel like you're at home with those people. You're going to be raised in the country, and you're like, you know what? We have the only good music that was ever made. The music that's going to be sung in heaven is country music. I'm going to move toward you. Because I do think your tractor's sexy. I'll be honest with you, right? And I'm just going to move over here. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to look at people who were not raised the way that I was raised. I'm going to be like, what's wrong with you? What, what is that? hip-hop nonsense that you listen to. I can't even understand the words. I'm going to look and I'm going to say I was raised in the country, so I was raised to do things on my own. I fix my own things. I build my own things. I mow my own grass, right? I'm going to look at somebody who wasn't raised that way, and I'm going to think you're dumb for doing it a different way. What do you mean you pay somebody to change your oil? What do you mean you don't mow your own grass? You don't know how to mow your own grass? That's ridiculous that you would be that way. I'm, I'm going to look over here and I'm going to think, you know, if you haven't shot something fuzzy and eaten it, you just haven't eaten well in your life, right? And so I'm going to look for people who think like me, act like me, and look like me, and I'm going to congregate with them, and I'm going to do that to the exclusion of another group. Now, you just flip the coin. If you grew up in the city you're going to look at country folk, and you're going to look and say, those guys are like uneducated redneck hillbillies. I mean, can you, uh, can you believe that they take three or four hours of their most productive year, earning, years, earning uh, hours of, of their life, and they mow their grass? Why wouldn't you have like a manservant do that for you, right? Do you believe they eat meat? I mean, do you believe they eat meat? By the way, shooting something fuzzy and eating it is about as organic as you can get, but I digress. But, <laughs> right? So, you, they, can you believe they do that? And they didn't even attend a, an Ivy League school. Can you believe they're like that? And you're going to find people who act like you and think like you, and you're going to congregate with them, and you're going to start to build dividing walls amongst yourself. We do this economically. We do it economically. You know who, you know what defines a rich person? A rich person is anybody who has more than you. That's a rich person. So you're going to look, and if you don't consider yourself rich, you're going to look at a rich person, and you're going to look at their life, and you're going to look at their decisions, and you're going to think things like this. I can't believe they waste money on that. I can't believe they do that. I, there is no, they have to be ripping somebody off to be able to live that lifestyle, see? Now, a poor person, you know what defines a poor person? A poor person is anybody who has less than you have. So if you think of yourself as above a group of people, you look down at a group of people and you'll think, I can't believe they live that way. I can't believe they live in that spot. I can't believe they keep their lawn that way. I can't, I can't believe that they make those decisions with their money. I can't believe that they function that way. And we'll divide ourselves even economically. We'll, we'll congregate with people who act like and think like and look like us, and then we'll look down at a different group of people who don't do that. We do that racially. We do that culturally. We do that Politically, I don't know if you've noticed that there's a bit of a political divide in our nation right now. And so I thought the most unifying thing I could do this weekend is talk about politics. So here we go, right? So we do that politically. And we'll look and say, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to group up with people that I think agree with me. In fact, I'm going to listen for buzzwords. 
And if you say the right buzzwords, it's going to cue me in that I'm supposed to gravitate towards you. And then anybody who doesn't agree with me is my enemy. And you lean it to the right, lean it to the left. And then we'll identify ourselves that way. I'm a Republican, I'm a Democrat, I'm a Libertarian, I'm a, I'm a conservative. We'll make this part of our identity because it's the culture that we come from. See? And Paul leans into two groups of people who are rooted in this, right? I am these multiple thousand years of history. Well, I am these multiple thousand years. It's who I am. I am a Jew. I am a Gentile. Political divides. I think the Roman government is the worst thing that ever happened. Well, I like the Roman government because they put you in your place. See? And now all these people come together in Christ. And Paul steps in and says, Wait a minute. Wait a minute. You, you need to understand that something has happened in you, not to you, in you. You were far off, now you're not. There was hostility, now there's peace. These walls have been torn down. And he goes on and he actually walks them through what has happened spiritually. Verse 15, chapter 2, Ephesians, his purpose, Christ's purpose, was to create in himself one new humanity. Isn't that a fascinating phrase? Jesus says, I'm doing something. It's not really has anything to do with where you guys have been. And it's not really, it doesn't have a lot to do with how you would identify yourself. I'm going to create something new. I'm creating one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace, and in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross by which he put to death their hostilities. For through him, we both have access to the Father by one spirit. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household. Paul comes and he says, listen, you got to understand, when you move from death to life, you were reborn something different. Not your old identity, not your old humanity, a new humanity. When you were recreated, you, you weren't a remodeled version of what you once were, new paint, new carpet. You were recreated completely. The old is gone. It's torn down. It's gone. It's lost. And this new you has been created. And what God has done in you and what he is doing in you now defines you. It is now your identity. So this happens corporately and it happens personally. So corporately, the apostles would talk about this. So for instance, like the apostle James, who was Jesus's brother, he's writing in the book of James and he looks and he says, you know what? He says, in the church, economics don't matter. You don't buy favor in the church. You don't buy leadership in the church. You don't buy credibility in the church. There, there's to be no favoritism shown in the church. What earns you leadership and credibility in the church is your commitment to Christ. Paul would say in the church, 
Race doesn't matter. There's no Jew. There's no Gentile. Who gives a rip what color your skin is? What's that got to do with anything? It, it, it's, your, it's your relationship, your oneness, your, your brotherhood and sisterhood is because of Christ, see? Your backgrounds, what, what are you talking about? Who, who cares how you were raised? In fact, Jesus goes so far, he goes, you know what? Your family doesn't matter. Who your father was, who your mother was, that doesn't matter. You have a new family. In fact, you, you have to walk away, not walk away from the relationship, walk away from the identity, the things that moor you to that. You're not a Smith or a Jones or a Bogue anymore. You're a brother, a sister in Christ. You're a child, a son or daughter of the Most High God. That is your identity. You have been created in Christ who for himself raised up a new humanity. And that new humanity is to be what defines you and directs you. And corporately, as the church, the apostles and Jesus are very strong. Those are the things that define the church. And then they would also lean back in and say, that happens to you personally. You personally find your identity in something else. You don't work for it. You don't earn it because it's by grace you're saved through faith. It's a gift of God. It's not by your works. It's only through Christ. You don't, you don't work your way into it. You don't get your religion down pat or your morals down pat. This is something that Christ is doing in you. And so what you're doing is you're allowing this to happen. The working out our salvation with fear and trembling is not me knocking it off and stopping to smoke, you know, stop smoking, drinking, chewing, dating girls to do. Working out my salvation is me recognizing what God has already done and allowing that to play out in my life. See? And it plays out for me individually. Now, this is what happens. This is what happens, ready? My spiritual growth is going to stunt and stop and stall at the point in which I allow my old humanity to define me and refuse to allow my new humanity to take its place. Where I look at God and say, God, I love this, this new life, right? You've resurrected me. I was spiritually dead, now I'm spiritually alive, but, but I want the new life only to go to this point, and then I want my old life to come in. So God, I like this don't go to hell thing, I'm like really in on that. Like I, I'm all for that, I'm all for heaven, I'm all for eternal life, I'm all for God loves me, I'm all for God enjoys me. I want all those parts of my new life to absolutely define and direct me, but I want to define and direct my own sexuality. That's up to me. My morality, how I identify myself, what I look at, who I want to be, those are my decisions. You, I will not surrender that to you, God. God, I love, I love this past thing. Man, woo, you forgive me for my past. You cleanse me from my past. You heal my past. You restore the years the locusts have eaten. It, you let me start over. I love all that. God, I'm all in. You can have my past. I want the new humanity. I want to be a member of your household. I'll identify with that. But I don't want to give you my future because I got plans I got plans that I want you to bless. I want my life to play out this way. I would like health, 
wealth, prosperity, and maybe hair growth. <laughs> See? And so you can have this, but I want this, right? God, I give you, you know, my, my treasure. I, I will give you my debt. I will give you my credit cards. I will give you my bad decisions. I will give you all of that. But you cannot have my tithe, my generosity, or ownership over everything. That's mine. I earned it. I want things. See? You can have this relationship, and this one, and this one, and this one, but I'm going to stay mad at this one. I, I, I'll forgive this one, this one, this one, but not this one. See, I'm not working at that. And wherever we look and say, God, I want to bring, ready? Here it is. I want to bring death and weave it into life. God would look and say, that's actually impossible. I want my old humanity, and I just want to attach it to my new one. Just balance me out. No, I, I can't. My old humanity, but I'll, I'll show up and like sing a couple songs and be a Christian instead of like a Muslim. And, no, I can't. I want light and darkness to weave together, and God would look and say, they have nothing in common. It can't happen. And when you, when you think about salvation and being made new and being reborn in these terms, it, it, it's deeper than that. It, it's more intrusive than that. It, it's more complete than that. That's the old creation, and it's gone. And the new has come. See? And Paul looks at these groups of people who are wrestling with same things we would wrestle with, exact same things, because it's, it's a human problem, it's not an American problem. And he would look and say, no, 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 if you're dividing amongst these things, not the people of God, if you're preferring each other because of money, not in the church, if, you, if you're a bigot, if you're a racist, not the people of God, you attach Jesus to that, that's a false teaching. Those folks are liars and sinners. You, you withhold forgiveness and compassion, not the people of God. You look down on the poor instead of trying to serve it, not the people of God. Nope. That is literally not who you have been made to be. And personally, it's, it's not a pick and choose. It's an all-in. Now, why? Why is God doing this? What's he accomplishing? He goes on in chapter 3 of Ephesians. He clues us into this. Why is it so radical? Why is this new humanity such a big deal? Why does God want us to totally be recreated? Why does he just improve us a little bit? Well, he says this in chapter 3, verse 10, 11. He says his intent, this is Jesus' intent, his intent was that now through the church, 
the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms according to his eternal purpose that is accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. God's looking and saying, the reason this is such a big deal is that the manifold witness, the complete understanding of God is now broadcast through the church, the new humanity, the household of God, the people of God. That as I, when I accept Christ, I become a part of the church of Jesus Christ. When, when, and, and, and then we do that corporately. So Jesus looks and says, through the church, you can see all of God, and you can see the work of God through the church and what God does. So when I look and I say, I, I have been trying to break free from my addictions my whole life, and I found Christ, and I've been recreated, and the power of the Holy Spirit and the fruit of the Spirit and the truth of God's Word has transformed my life. I am free of that. God would look and say, see, it's not just a managed addiction. That's not a, a swapped out addiction. I gave up alcohol for cigarettes. I gave up cigarettes for food. That is a person who has been freed something supernatural, completely different has happened there. When the human instincts are overcome, when, when suddenly in the church, it's all economic stratus, all races, all culture, who cares? You love that person? Yeah. You've never even met them. I know, but they're my brother or my sister in Christ. That's the weirdest thing I ever heard. Right. It's a new humanity. It's a supernatural thing. When someone who has shaken their fist at God, which the Bible says we do in our sin, that we're enemies of God in our heart before we follow Christ. When, I, when my, my fist shaking to God turns into my hand raised in worship, how does that happen? That's not self-discipline. That, that's not like I knocked it off. Something has shifted. When I'm suddenly forgiving someone, and forgiveness becomes a habit. How do you guys stay married for 50 years? We're really good forgivers. Why would you do that? Well, we're not governed by our happiness. We're governed by our holiness. We, we actually have this whole other way of thinking. Why would wealthy people care for impoverished people? Why would a group of people send four and a half million meals which grace has done, to famine. Why would you do that? You don't even know those people. Right, well, because we have it. Oh, you felt guilty? No. We felt motivated. Paul calls for equality. We eat, they eat. We have the ability, so we want to. Why would you do that? And Paul's saying God's intention is that through the changed lives of people, and through the corporate changes, this different entity, this other humanity, this household of God, that when you look at an individual and then you look at a group, say, what is the deal with them? You start to understand what the deal with Jesus is. That because of worship, through the adherence of God's word, and the love that we have for each other, the sharing, the forgiving, the bearing burdens, the mourning and the rejoicing that happens, see, that this new humanity, this different family 
brings glory to God. And you were made for that. You weren't made to kind of knock it off and be better. You weren't made to be moralistic. My morals are just a little bit higher than somebody else. It sounds weird coming from the pastor. You weren't made to go to church. You were made to be the church. See, And when I start understanding that I'm made for that, right, that that is actually happening within me, the Spirit of God and the victory that God has for us over sin, it's, it's not that I become perfect, it's that I'm, I'm driven and motivated and moved differently than I could ever be on my own. I was trying to get a description for this in my mind, because this, this concept is hard to get your head around. It really is. It's, it's one of the reasons I really encourage you to dial in here for the next few weeks, because I think over the course of, you know, four or five weeks as we talk about this, it'll, it'll register more and more and more. I'm not sure I can give you a silver bullet illustration, but one of the things that came to my mind was, was this idea. What happens to me and in me when I accept Christ? One of the ways that we would understand this a little bit it is the idea of falling in love. When I fall in love with someone, I start to do weird things I wouldn't normally do with joy and passion for them. It's the weirdest thing, right? When I fall in love, I start to be romantic, and I start to write letters, and I start to get googly eyes, and, and their uniquenesses I'm okay with, that their quirks I find endearing, that their personality, oh, I love your strength and your boldness, right? In fact, one of the ways that we know that our relationships have moved or are maybe even in trouble is when we quit responding to somebody we love that way. So their uniquenesses get on our nerves. Their boldness, why are you always tense about everything? Right? And it, and it lets us know. It's a little bit of an indicator that we should, we'll probably have to dial our hearts in a little bit. Because something has happened within me. I'm a different person because I've fallen in love with this person. Those of us who are parents... We, we can understand this the, mo the, the most clearly. When, when you become a parent, you change. You just change. I, I don't like children. <laughs> and, and we have six of them. I'm not sure what happened. I lost control somewhere in there. But I, when I was growing up, I don't like it. I, I'm the baby in my family, so I liked being the kid. I didn't want you around me. I had to compete then. And you wanted to use my stuff. And that wasn't right, right? So I never, like, I didn't babysit. I didn't hang out with kids. I never volunteered in the children's ministry. I wanted as far away from children as I could ever be. But when our children were born, I changed. I changed. I, I, something different happened. And it's not because I went and studied parenthood and got a doctorate in it. It's not because I looked at my children and said, you know what, today I'm just going to decide to not not like children anymore. <laughs> Something changed, and it became who I am. It became the definer and the director of my life. They dominate my time. They dominate my freedom. They bleed me dry financially. 
right? And I don't, I don't mind because I love them, right? I love Heidi. I lo and so it's not that we just, you know, we're going to do this. It's that something has altered in my heart. It, it's down that path. I, I don't have to work to love Heidi and love the children. I have to allow my love for them to be expressed. I have to embrace it. And when you come to Christ, and this is after Christ, the Bible says that the moment you accept Christ, you are filled with the Holy Spirit, the power of the Holy Spirit within you, the power of God's Word, and you become part of the church, the power of God's people. It's not that I have to, like, work at that now. I'm going to get my spirit filled going on. It's not that. It's that I'm, I, I'm allowing God to be who he is. I'm allowing God to change me the way that he changes me. I'm allowing God to define me in ways that I would have never thought to be defined before. But as God leads me, as the word of God exposes the truth of God to me, and as we as the church speak into each other's life, there's wise counsel, iron sharpening iron, all those kind of things that the Bible talks about. I become a different person. And it's not that I'm striving for the new humanity. I'm embracing it and allowing it. This is what Paul's saying. He's looking at the Gentiles. He's saying, remember, that's what you were. It's not who you are anymore. Those those tensions don't define these relationships. And, and he would flip the coin in other places in the Scripture and say to the Jewish folks, that, that's what you were, but that's not who you are anymore. So we're not, we're not looking at somebody you're afraid is going to contaminate your lifestyle. You're looking at somebody that you love who's your brother and sister in Christ. And in Christ, Christ has recreated and made new and embracing that, living in that truth, right? It's not the key to health, wellness, and prosperity. That's all nonsense on TV. But it is the key to growing spiritually and to being who God has created you to be. You were made for this, right? All right, we'll keep looking at it next weekend. Maybe bow your heads and close your eyes with me for a minute and Here's a question that you can wrestle with if you want to. Maybe it would be healthy for us to pray and ask God through the work of his Holy Spirit, ask God to show us any element where we have swapped out our identity in Christ for our identity in earthly things. Is there any part of my old life that I'm holding on to is there anything in my life that I'm better known for than being a lover of Jesus Christ, a lover of people? If, if they looked at my social media, the largest platform that any of us have, what would they see or think or know about me? Those kind of things. And do I find my identity? Do I find my value? Do I find my worth in anything besides Christ? And then maybe this question, is there somebody I'm pushing out? Is there a prejudice that I have? Is there a, is there a bias that I have where I'm withholding love or failing to love my brother, my sister in Christ the way that I should? 
Jesus, would you do that work in me? Lord, we, me too. We, we, we drift. I drift. I always do. Always battling this nature within me. And so we go back to the things that we grew up with, things that we want, the things that we expect. And Lord, instead of loving and cherishing and caring the way that we should. So Lord, would you change me? Would you change us? Would you, would you convict us? Would you comfort us? Would you explain to us? Would you show us how? Thank you that you do this work in us. And God, we ask that you continue to do this all the way through to completion. Begin that even now, Jesus, in your name.